0: Welcome to the Emily Alexina podcast, a space where we talk truths, beauty, medicine, and healing on all levels. Join me for the show. Hi everyone, Emily here, back again for another episode. It's been a while, hasn't it? With the start of the school year in September, in these strange COVID times, I felt there was not much extra energy for podcasting, but it is something I absolutely love to do. So today we have a very special guest, uh, my sister Gabrielle, my other sister. If you're interested in hearing a talk with my youngest sister, Camille, where we talked about her experience through my severe depression episode five, five, six years ago. Um, Check out that episode. And today we have my sister Gabrielle, who is a uh, professional social worker. And we're going to be talking about listening skills. And these are skills I find I have been working on myself, for some time through my training as a uh, breastfeeding support volunteer and a birth doula. But sometimes when I speak with my sister Gabby, I am blown away (laughs) as to her skills and just feel so heard by her. And so I wanted her to come on today to help share some tips for people who might find themselves in a listening position. And even if you're someone uh struggling with mental health issues. I think this will be very helpful to get a perspective on the listening conversation or healthy conversation skills around serious mental health issues, and even send this episode over to someone before you want to uh, perhaps discuss some some things you're going through. So I hope you enjoy the show. Please leave a comment or rate it on iTunes. That's very helpful. And I'm also going to be looking at creating some kind of a Patreon account, so please stay tuned for that. And finally, if you want to send me any comments or questions or further insights or suggestions for episodes, don't hesitate to contact me. The easiest way is probably on Instagram. My handle is This Raw Mom Life. You can check it in the descriptions of the episode. And without further ado, I send you over to our recording. Hi, Gabrielle. Thank you so much for coming on today.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. Where to call you Gabrielle. You're my sister. I call you Gab. <laughs> you,
1: you, you can call me Gab as we go along.
0: <laughs> uh, so I'm so excited to have you on today to talk about um, most specifically good listening skills. And we're going to delve into a few details that could be really helpful for friends and family members helping each other out in uh, times of stress. And right now, these COVID times, it's pretty intense for a lot of people. So I'm really excited to get into this with you. Um, do Could you first share with us your background uh, and where you're coming from? Yeah, so
1: I am currently working as a social worker in Ottawa. Um, I guess my education took me a little bit on a journey. I started in global development studies, which helped Uh, paint a broader picture of what happens uh, around the world and in communities. And I didn't really know what I was going to do with that. Um, And actually had a, our our younger sister, Cam, was uh, studying social work. And when I was learning more about the program, it just seemed like a very practical way of applying Um, what I had been learning in um, global development. So I pursued a degree in a Bachelor's of Social Work at Lakehead University and then completed my Master of Social Work at um, McGill and have now been working in the field for just over a
0: year. Woo woo! (laughs) So let's jump right into it. Uh, I guess it was almost like two weeks ago now that I called you in kind of like melting down and just as a really stressful emotional moment. Mm-hmm. And we talked it out together for about an hour. And I just felt afterwards like I was like, man, that was some of the best listening skills I've ever encountered. <laughs> 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 you know, having having myself had some training as a La as a kind of La Leche League breastfeeding volunteer, mother support person, and as a doula, I've had sup- kind of I would say superficial training mm-hmm. um, in listening skills, and it's been in the back of my mind. And so when I spoke to you, I thought she nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> she nailed it because I feel like awesome and uh and I felt heard and I felt it was just great it was really great and so I guess we could start with some things that um some basic first tips that we can that we can talk about Mm -hmm. definitely listening
1: so just looking at general tips for listening Mm -hmm. so I guess one of the most important things when it comes to listening is to actually listen (laughs) and to focus on what the other person is saying. Uh, Depending on what kind of situations we might find ourselves in, we might uh, start thinking about what we're going to say next and how we're going to respond or how we're going to deal with what the person is telling us. And that really takes us away from what they're actually saying. Um, so the first most important tip, and it can sound obvious, but it's very easy to fall out of it, is to actually pay attention to what they're saying. Um, and something that we learn in school is is very simple, just repeating what is said back to you. Um, and when you do that, you actually focus on what the other person is saying instead of how you might sound or what you're going to say next. Um, hmm. So that's a, a very
0: easy place to start. So my first question when I hear that is, but then how do you get ready to respond (laughs) if you're only in the listening and to ignore those or I don't know what you do, ignore those thoughts that come up or those questions. I'm the kind of person when I listen to anything, there's a million questions usually that come into my mind. I'm always delving deeper, wanting to ask more questions. Mm -hmm. So, ah, how do you do you still have thoughts that come up or do you have nothing and you're just blank, fully listening, taking it in? And maybe it's a slower process of coming up with a, a response or what you're going to say back.
1: I think it's it's a bit of both. Um, I definitely have thoughts come up. We all will have thoughts that come up. Uh, So whether I'm talking to a family member, a spouse, um, a patient or a client, um, you have all kinds of thoughts come up, sometimes relating it back to an experience that you may have had, uh, sometimes wanting to ask a follow-up question, sometimes wanting to clarify something. Um, And it's not that those won't come up, they, they definitely will, and when they do, it's almost like trying to put it in your back pocket, you know, and you might forget it um, and i'll I'll often find myself in a situation where i'll I'll be talking to a patient and I'll say, You know, I've lost my train of thought, um, but that tends to be an important p- moment between the two of us um, because it shows a very human side um, and so just me offering up my vulnerability in my listening, so you know i I really appreciate what you shared um, and I had this thought but I've since lost it where do we go from here and so I think making space for some of that awkwardness that can come along when you do intentionally listen to someone um, and similar to what you had said is that the process will be slower um, so we don't necessarily need to rush through the conversation there is room for silence and mm-hmm. silence is actually something that is very powerful, uh, whether you're having just a conversation with a loved one or friend um, or even in a professional setting. Silence really allows um, space for the person to think, for you to think and decide uh, what might be discussed next.
0: That was the silence. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> practicing <it. laughs> Uh, that's, that's amazing. I could already see how, if I, if there was one takeaway would be to allow for the silence and the space, Mm -hmm. how, how much, yeah, it just feels like it gives space to a conversation and for each person to feel and process things that are being said, because what we're talking about today is listening skills for uh, intense moments and perhaps moments of mental health where people are, are reaching out um, for help. So one thing I wanted to talk to you about is how sort of, I, I want to discuss some parts on the part of the speaker or the person reaching out for help with listening. Mm-hmm. And then on the part of the listener mm-hmm. as the listener, sometimes well, I think one of the first steps is to is perhaps to wait to be approached. Uh, how do you How do you feel about that? It's more relating to friends and family and not in a professional setting, or maybe mm-hmm. in a professional setting.
1: It's difficult to say. I find if we wait to be approached, we may end up in a situation where people we love fall through the cracks, and so it's a really delicate dance between how much do I reach out um, versus how much do I step back and wait and it's not always easy to know Um, one thing that I do try to encourage others to do is when in doubt do reach out Hmm. Um, because worse comes to worse you might be turned away Um, But at least that person knows that you are someone who is there, who is willing to be a support as opposed to going through that um, that own spiral that we might have on the other end where nobody cares. Nobody wants to know. Nobody's there for me. Um, And it's so easy when we are in a darker place to think like that. And so even if it can get annoying sometimes or overstepping, having someone actually take that step and ask like, hey, you know, how are things or can I check in or can I swing by makes you feel like you're not alone and that if you do feel ready to open up that there is somebody who is there for you
0: yeah that's that's fantastic because having been in those dark places you can definitely feel when people are dilly-dallying around the subject Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you both know what's going on but that person isn't ready to take on um the story perhaps or to hear it and so you know they have their own things that they make them unable to listen perhaps
1: definitely and that's an important thing to remind ourselves too is what are our own boundaries in listening or offering support to somebody um and that'll change given on a day-to-day basis based on what's going on in our lives, we may not be able to take everything on. Um, So trying to decide when you do reach out, what is it that I am willing to do or able to offer in this moment? And Mm -hmm. that can be different based on, you know, your own stress levels, your own,
0: uh, how full your own plate might be. Yeah. Uh, One thing I mentioned to you, which... I thought was interesting after my personal reflection on it, and I want to share it here with anyone listening is my own process in having to get to a certain place within myself that I'm ready to reach out. Mm -hmm. And that can perhaps be when that person is tapping on the door. Hey, are you okay? Do you want to talk? Hey, are you okay? Do you want to talk? And that, that other person is going through their own inner process of, Sometimes there has to be time alone to figure things out or to set with sit with things to overcome the guilt and the shame to be able to talk to someone else definitely and, and I noticed that was like quite a big a big component in being able to talk to other people about my different problems, different stresses um and it's getting better. I feel as I practice overcoming guilt and shame. I'm getting better at overcoming guilt and shame. And then it's easier to open up to those who are ready to listen and support.
1: Definitely. It is something that does take lots of practice.
0: And the more we do it, the easier it becomes. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about uh, the instinct to save someone Mm -hmm. when, or, I mean, it, it doesn't come you probably know this, but it it comes with like the savior and victim mentality Mm -hmm. that when it gets out of balance, then both people get out of balance. And Mm -hmm. I I just wanted to know what you thought about that in terms of being the listener. That's a
1: really tough question. Um, and it'll vary based on who it is that you're listening to uh, and your relationship and investment in that, um, your relationship with that person and your investment in that relationship. Um, So it can be much easier said than done. Um, But generally we want to avoid finding ourselves in a situation where we are, as the listener, working harder than the person you're trying to support. Mm. Um, And that's usually when the rule of, that's kind of a, a general rule of thumb that we might use is, Am I putting in more work and effort in trying to resolve the situation or help this person than this person is putting in themselves? And if the answer is yes, then generally you're doing too much and you're finding yourself in a savior position. That's easy enough to say when there is detachment, when you're not emotionally invested in a relationship, when it's your spouse or your sibling or your child or a parent um, it can be much harder to set that kind of boundary because you 're so desperate to see that person be in a better place
0: that 's very interesting, but I would also see how that could be difficult in a professional setting when people are coming to you with pretty serious problems and I know i 've been in in states of depression where you just don 't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you have no motivation. And it's, sometimes it feels like the brain is numb mm-hmm. and fried. And, but then every little step that you do take opens things up and heals things slowly. So it's so important to take those small steps. But men, uh, in the beginning, <laughs> when I was back in those times, it's like you're stuck in that victim uh, position and just looking for help all the time, mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, and you said it perfectly
1: taking those small steps. So that's where it, be, it, it is so important to, um, w- with all your work that you're doing, um, make it unique to that person. And a number one thing that we might say in our field is meet the person where they're at. Um, so what I try to do with one person, um, could be very different for another person and a goal for one person might just be to sit up in your bed for a few minutes and maybe, maybe stand up, you know, and that's where we start is just, just trying to get out of bed. And somebody else might be, okay, you're already um, walking X amount of times a day. Now let's see if we can get you eating a little more regularly. So it really just depends on how everybody, how every one person is doing and really trying to meet the person where they are at as opposed to where you might wish them to be.
0: Wow, even just hearing that puts things into perspective. And I've been in those places where getting out of bed is... It seems impossible mm-hmm. for, for days and weeks. And yeah, we can judge ourselves so hard about the step that we have to take, about how small it is or compared to what we think other people are doing. But focusing on our present reality is so important.
1: And that's such a big thing. And, and not only comparing ourselves to others, but comparing ourselves to our past self. So, you know, Mm. why is it so hard for me to brush my teeth right now or get out of bed or get dressed or shower um, or take care of all these responsibilities when I used to do this no problem two weeks ago or three months ago or two years ago? Um, You know, why is this so hard for me right now? And that's a big thing that we often end up talking about is trying to not judge yourself to where you've been in the past and that our best day today will be different than our best day tomorrow or last year and really trying to move beyond this past version of of ourselves and like you said focus on what our reality is right now and um, being kind to ourselves it's you know that things are harder today than they've been in the past and that can feel scary or make you feel like you're out of control in some way Uh, but it's a reality that most of us go through at some point in time Mm -hmm. in some way.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's so powerful. Uh, I had a thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I lost it. <laughs> oh, man, but it was a good one I felt anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that happens sometimes when you're listening. <laughs> oh, yeah, one thing I loved that you said when we were talking was what do you want to do about this? Mm-hmm. And I guess it goes back to putting the work on that person going through their issues. Um, but I felt that was so comforting because it it put it back on me to think about what what's really important for me and what do I really want. And it's not going to be the same as for you mm-hmm. or as for anyone else. Mm-hmm. And to realign people back with their personal values with their, per- with what is guiding them, what feels aligned for them was huge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I wanted to point that out for anyone who might be in a listening place was, is to, yeah, to, uh, we have to take ourselves out of the picture and, and focus on what that person really wants and what they feel is best for them.
1: Yep. And that's where it gets really hard when we are more emotionally
0: invested
1: um, in a relationship mm-hmm. because what I want and what you want might be two different things. Um, and if I'm not able to step outside of that, that's a very hard question to ask. Um, and and so it's, a, it's an important one uh, because for the person receiving that question, for the person being supported... Um, it it's going to be something that is actually meaningful and resonates with you, which is much easier to do than something that you're told to do. And I don't know if anybody else is similar to me, but as soon as I'm told to do something, I just don't want to do it, even if it's good for me. So it can be a very important one, but a very hard one too, depending on your closeness to the person. I'm sure because
0: depending on the situation, it could be, I mean, would there ever be anything, what if it's something that is self-destructive? What's the line? Mm-hmm.
1: And Is there a line? That's, that's when it gets really hard. Um, as an adult, especially, we are free to make bad decisions. Um, and we can't necessarily stop our loved ones from making decisions that we may not agree with or we may consider self-destructive in some way. Um, So really the only time that you can help an adult that you think is doing something self-destructive is if they're at risk of harming themselves. Are you still there?
0: Um,
1: Sorry, I had an issue with my phone. Is if they're at risk of harming themselves um, or if they're at risk of harming somebody else. And that's when you can intervene. Um, And that's something that's really hard on family members and friends of adults who are struggling uh, with their mental health. Um, I'll often get phone calls saying, you know, why can't I do anything more? Why can't you do anything more? Why aren't there systems to help us? Um, And that's the bottom line is that adults are free to to self-destruct until it gets severe enough that somebody can intervene under the law. And so what do you do? with that um, as, as a loved one, as the person trying to support somebody. If you ask, you know, what is it that you want to do, and they say something that you consider to be self-destructive, you can follow up with, how would you like me to support you in that? What can my role be in this? Uh, you also have to decide for yourself if you can support mm-hmm. somebody as they do something that you might consider as self-destructive um, or when you feel comfortable supporting them. So, you know, you can express that it's not something that you agree with, um, that you love them and that you'll be here from them for them when they're ready. So everybody has boundaries and it's perfectly reasonable to have boundaries and to set those boundaries. Um, but it's a very, very tough one when someone might be in a self-destructive position and there isn't much you can do to help.
0: Yeah, I could see that being really tricky and I mean feel feeling that in a family situation mm-hmm. when there's this feeling of duty towards your siblings or your parents or your children mm-hmm. and then you have to come to feel it out and come to terms as to where your boundaries are and they might be movable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And become more and more flexible, perhaps, as time goes on. And that's a
1: really important point, is that the boundaries you set today don't have to be the same ones tomorrow. Um, And that's something that I often talk to the uh, patients or clients I work with, is that you can make a decision today that works for you today, and you can change it down the line. Um, because we often I find find ourselves in a position where we feel like we have to make the right decision today and that'll be the decision that governs us moving forward um, but it doesn't have to be the case and you also bring up a good point especially in families that's that's kind of who I have in mind as, as we talk about this is when one person has boundaries uh, in one place and somebody else in the family's boundaries are different. Um, And -hmm. they can find themselves in the position where they feel now alone in this as other family members decide what they're willing to do and not do. Um, And that can be really hard too. It can cause tension in relationships, tension between siblings, uh, between uh, parents and children. So it's It's not an easy one for families and that's why it's so important for as many members of the family to have their own support, their own um, network of people to help them through a really difficult time.
0: I was going to ask, yeah, uh, that was one thing that came up when in my conversation with my sister, our sister Cam, Mm -hmm. who came on the podcast talking about my depression experience and her experience through it and she was saying how important her friends were for her at the time Mm -hmm. and that they were rocks for her. And it would have been very difficult for her to support me um, without them. And so sometimes we think as the listener, we have to be this rock and we have to keep things and, and, you know, be the, I don't know, maybe a hero or just be able to do it on our own, but that's not very realistic. Mm
1: -hmm. It's not, it's not realistic. And you think about what you model in doing that. Um, so if you're trying mm-hmm. to tell the person that you're trying to support to reach out for help, yet you don't do the same things, it, it becomes, it, there, there's a genuineness that's missing. Um, and we see that a lot with the the, that rock personality trait. Um, and eventually the rock starts to crumble and they don't know what to do with themselves uh, because they've been taking on all of these challenges and they themselves haven't been in a position where they've sought help. Um, and so you can also look at it from the perspective of in me reaching out for help. I'm also giving permission for others to do the same. Hmm. Um, and, it also gets tricky though because you could be discussing things that the other person may not want to be discussed. Um, and that was one thought I yeah. Found. Yeah. <laughs> and it, that's a really again all the all of these issues they're not um, they're they're not black and white. There are many many gray zones, and you can understand from the person who's being supported that they don't want the whole world knowing their business. At the mm-hmm. same time, we know how important it is for the supporter to have their own support system. And that just naturally involves some information going out, even if it's just a general, my sibling is going through a hard time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's, it's really tough and it challenges um, something that you talked about in the beginning, which is the shame that we often feel when we're going through something difficult that it needs to remain a secret and shouldn't be talked about, or at least not by somebody else. And we forget sometimes when we're the one who is going through something difficult, that what we're going through does affect those around us and becomes something difficult that they end up going through too. Mm -hmm. Um, And it becomes part of their story. And so even though you may have been the trigger in this particular situation um, it doesn't end with you and that is so hard and you hear that from people who are the ones who are at the root of the initial uh, challenge that someone might be going through is that they're talking about this you know and how does that make me feel and that might make, make me feel more anxious or more alone or less likely to reach out and so it's it's a really tough one to navigate. It's a conversation that I have quite a lot in my work. Um, and what we try and do is to take it less personally, in a sense, even though it is very personal in so many ways.
0: Right. What I am well, what I feel it's, is happening is almost when you're in that place, in that darkness of whatever's happening, and you reach out for help, perhaps almost most often in, in a victim kind of place or from a victim place. And then when that person that you're speaking to starts to talk to other people or feels the burden of of that your burden, they become a victim too, perhaps in some ways and can be taking away some of that energy. Do you find that that people, or is it not even related to that? It's It's... I'm not sure if... I'm not sure. I don't necessarily see
1: it as victim. And then um, the next person also becomes a victim, but you can definitely see how one is impacted. Right. And we impact those around us in, in many ways, positive, neutrally, sometimes negatively. Um, and so you can, you can see how in you going through something difficult, in you having a hard time and reaching out for support, that you have an impact on others. And that's where a lot of the time, at least in my experience and what I hear from people, um, that's what stops them from reaching out is, you know, well, if I say something, so-and-so will worry about me or my mom will worry or my mm. par- parents will worry and my parents are too old or too sick or to this, to be worried about, too busy. Yeah, to be worried about this, or my, my sister, you know, she has her own kids and her own life, and I can't put this on her too. And so it's, it's difficult, because we know that there is an impact, you know, we know that someone may worry for us. Um, and that can be hard to choose to put somebody else in that position. Um, and, and it's a really hard one. <laughs>
0: Do you find most of the time when people do reach out and they think that it will be too much for the other person, does it usually work out? Um, I think in the, in
1: most cases it, it does. And the reason it does is because it's a ripple effect. So yes, you might be transferring some of your pain onto somebody else um, or at least some of the difficult parts of what you're going through onto somebody else. Um, and that person will hopefully do the same too, uh, lean on a spouse mm-hmm. or somebody else. And the weight of what that initial person is going through eventually gets spread out um, between families, between friendships, between communities, and it becomes less of a burden. And we know that when, especially with, with mental health or uh, experiences that we have that we might be ashamed or embarrassed about, we know that the antidote to uh, the emotion, shame, is to open up. So secrecy fuels shame, and the more that we open up um, to others, the more that we spread that um, across communities, um, the less impactful it will be on us, the less that it will have a negative effect on us.
0: Wow, that's powerful secrecy fuels shame and the antidote is to yeah. share
1: that's um uh, I think Brene Brown said that
0: <laughs> wow <laughs> <laughs> we'll I have to find the, the the like Instagram image of that quote yeah <laughs> she share.
1: she has some really incredible work on uh shame and vulnerability and yeah. um
0: I have seen her yeah So let's talk about if we are worried about someone um, having suicidal thoughts or being, you know, that far down into their, into their spiral for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I guess even before you have a conversation with them, uh, what are some tips you can give for friends or family members around them?
1: That is a big question. Um, so tips for friends and family members, people you're close with. Mm-hmm. It's it's a tough one. Pro- professionally, um, talking about suicide, asking about suicide is something that happens on a regular basis. Um, it comes up, especially right now that we're working over the phone. We ask it at the beginning of every single session with every single patient. Um, and it just becomes something that's very almost easy to talk about and you learn that a lot of people have thoughts of suicide um, to different degrees. Some are more fleeting. Some are more, I wonder what it would be like if I wasn't here anymore. Um, and some have much more intent or seriousness behind them. But there is, you just get acquainted with talking about suicide and it becomes less scary. With friends and family, I'm not starting off every conversation with <laughs> are you thinking about suicide or have you had any thoughts of suicide since we last spoke we
0: imagine. <laughs> every time. so
1: it's it's tough because it's not something mm. that's part of our daily dialogue um we're talking about it more now which is great um but I remember receiving my training for um uh, suicide intervention and using it for the very first time and it made me very emotional uh when the person answered that yes they were having thoughts of suicide and I cried (laughs) and I cried and I was like wow okay this is real um what now and it was scary much scarier than when I'm on the when I'm wearing my professional hat um, and so I think just accepting that it is hard to talk about, especially because we're talking about somebody being in so much pain um, that they're thinking about possibly ending their life or that's coming into their mind. And so you know that the person is really struggling with something that's hard. And so that affects you because you love you love them, right? That You care about this person. Um, and then it's like, okay... So I'm worried about this person, I I know they're suffering, I know they're experiencing pain, and I feel for that. And then I also have to figure out what the heck do I do now? You know, that this person has maybe shared that yes, they're thinking about it, or yes, they might have a plan in place. Um, And so there's no easy answer for that. And so I guess my tips would be just to be checking in with, with each other more regularly, you know, how are you, really doing uh, not just your I'm fine things but what's going on with you what kind mm-hmm. of things are you dealing with on a day-to-day basis um, checking in with each other just how are we sleeping are we noticing that our friends or family are maybe withdrawing uh, socially uh, are we noticing that they may, might have a different mood so are they like is their hygiene different than what it typically is for that person Are they sleeping weird hours? Are they using any more substances? So some of this you might see if you're living with somebody. Some of this you might not if it's someone who lives outside of your household. Um, And if you ever get to a point where you really are concerned is to speak openly and directly. Um, Studies have shown and, and the research shows that if you ask someone directly Are you thinking about suicide? Are you thinking about harming yourself? Are you thinking about killing yourself? You will not make that person more likely to complete Mm. suicide. Um, And that's often something that a lot of people fear is if I say something, am I going to make it worse? And the Mm. research shows that you will not.
0: That's a huge, wow, that is a huge piece. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And so what happens when you address it openly and directly is you let that person know that that they can talk to you about it, that you are somebody that they can actually open up with, that you are ready to go there with them um, as opposed to being unable to. Um, It lets them know that they're not alone, you know, and that you have this concern and it also starts working against the stigma um, around suicide, around mental health. And so we, like I said before, we've made such great strides, but it's still not something that's that's a common part of our conversation. And I'm not saying that it should be something that we talk about every single day, but it's still something that might be considered taboo. Um, or you might see an obituary in the paper where they don't talk about they don't name it suicide when it's suicide. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of shame that families carry around suicide that, that friends carry with suicide. Um, And so in you asking that question openly, you also start to break some of that down.
0: But I'm, that's the thing is I don't know if like the average person is has the tools and the emotional strength, or or the strength to go there with people, mm-hmm. with their close ones. This is why I want to talk about this today because <laughs> it can maybe give people tools for that. But uh, yeah, that's just it's the we think we talk about it more. Mental health is talked about more, but I find I don't see enough of this. Give t- this kind of talk as to actual tips, actual things that we can actually say to each mm-hmm. other to help. It seems that it's getting out there, but it's still very superficial. It's it's billboards, it's Facebook posts, or whatever. But I don't know what's actually happening, you know, amongst friends and family members and people. I don't think still yet have the tools to really go there when it's important.
1: Definitely. Um, and, and I completely agree with you the way that we talk about mental health right now, it's great, but it's still general. It's still vague. Um, and so how do we talk about it more directly is a really great question to ask. One thing that I would say, and I hear this a lot from some of the people that I work with, um, is I don't know what to say. I'm not a mental health professional. I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. I'm not an expert in this. I don't have the tools. I don't know how to talk about this. And I think that's something that's really important is to relieve ourselves of the pressure to respond perfectly in these moments. There is no perfect response. You might cry and that's okay. You might um, be out of breath, you know, and just need to catch yourself and gather your thoughts for a moment. And so it's not about saying the right thing. It's not about doing something it's about being present in the moment with that person if you need to sit in silence you sit in silence if you're face to face even just holding a hand a hand on the knee a hug if you're comfortable with that letting them know I'm here with you right now and I may not know what the next steps are I may not know how to get through this but I'm here with you right now and from there the two of you can work together to figure out how do we keep you safe in this? Um, So is it spending the night with a friend? Is it calling 911? Is it calling a crisis line? Um, There are, if the listeners are in uh, Canada, every single region has access to a a crisis or distress line. Um, And so that's something that you can always reach out to Um, And good to know before you find yourself in a position where you need it. So just like we know our phone numbers for 911, trying to get a sense of uh, what are the numbers for a crisis or distressing moment and who can you reach out to. And if you contact a crisis line or a distress line um, and you say, you know, I'm here with this person who just disclosed to me that they are having thoughts of suicide, they'll walk you through it.
0: That's what I was going to ask. What does it look like when someone calls a crisis or distress line? Mm -hmm. Do they give? Do they follow up? Do they give other resources? Um, Is it expensive for people afterwards to to get help? I guess we can talk about about now the next steps that are available for people. Definitely. Um, So when you
1: contact a crisis line, every every line will be different. Uh, based on the region. Um, And also important to know too, that you can actually access most crisis lines um, by the internet. So by chat, if you're more comfortable with that, or if it's not um, safe enough for you to speak to somebody over the phone, like if you need to be quiet for some reason, Um, Mm -hmm. you can access a lot of uh, uh, crisis lines over chat um, on their websites. So again, informing yourself before you need it is really, really important. Um, Once you contact the crisis line, they will all have access to different levels of funding and different levels of resources. So I can speak to the one in Ottawa, Um, if you contact the crisis or distress line and they are concerned about your well-being, they may schedule a in-person follow-up with you uh, the following day or a couple days from the call. Um, In Ottawa, they will also provide other resources that you can reach out to. For example, um, in Ottawa and in most of the major cities, we have walk-in counselling. So you can call the walk-in counseling phone number the morning of and get in to see a counselor that same day, which is a really great service. Mm. Um, And so all of these very short-term crisis response services, so either the lines or something like walk-in counseling, will do their best to provide you with an idea of what uh, resources are available to you next. Sometimes that can be overwhelming. You get a list of, of two to ten different resources and, and you can feel like I'm not sure where to start. Sometimes um, organizations are slow to return phone calls because the volume they might be getting is quite a bit. Sometimes things get lost. Phone numbers might get lost. And so we don't like hearing that, um, but it is a reality is we are imperfect beings and um, we have imperfect systems. And so sometimes your name could fall through the cracks and that could be very discouraging. Um, so just trying to be aware of that ahead of time.
0: That's also good to know for any support people, friends or family members helping someone. through. Definitely. It. It's it's, very good it's to tough
1: know. and different um Depending on on how busy a, an organization might be, they may only do something like three phone calls. And if they don't hear back from you within those three phone calls, they'll remove your name on the, from the list because they have so many other people that need help. Mm-hmm. And so that's really difficult. We work with patients whose phones aren't always um, on. Uh, their voicemail boxes may be full, the number might be disconnected, you might have changed your phone number recently. So there are many ways that you may not get that phone call. So if you're in doubt, uh, you can take that step to reach out, and that can be really hard to do when you're not in a good place um, mentally. And so as a support person, knowing that ahead of time, you can encourage them to make that call, or you can make that call together. Mm -hmm um and so once you have this crisis line they may or may not give you resources depending on what they're equipped with um and from there it's about what kind of help do you want moving forward are you looking for something that's more long term um are you looking for something for anything that might be able to help you get get you through this moment and so then it moves into what do you have access to? Do you have access to uh, private insurance that covers mental health services? If so, how much? I see plans with coverage for something like $300 to upwards of $1,000. That will really change what you're actually able to access. So $300 will probably get you two sessions covered. Um, mm. So that's not, that's not that many. Um, Also looking at the time of the year, so some insurance plans um, restart with a new calendar year. So we're in October right now, if I had access to $500 say, I could get 5 sessions from October to December 31st and then get another 5 in the new year. So that could tie me over for some time. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a lot of questions to start asking yourself. If you don't have private insurance, Do you or your family, uh, depending on what your situation is, have the financial means to afford a private service? A lot of the times it's expensive. Um, And for some people, they might be able to afford that. For others, they're not. Um, And some are just on the line. And so you have to make that decision. Is it worth me setting aside $150 every couple of weeks to improve my mental health? Um, so that's a really important question to ask yourself. When you don't have coverage and um, you're not able to set that that money aside, um, so you're you're limited financially in terms of what you can afford privately, then you turn into low cost uh, or free resources. Um, that can be really hard to figure out. There are, I'm in Ottawa and I'm still learning what's available for people. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and it can be very overwhelming. There are so many lists. Um, some places will have, uh, names that could be, that could turn people away. For example, uh, we have a couple services. We have, uh, Jewish family services and Catholic family services. Uh, people might hear those names and think, oh, these are religious-based institutions. I'm not welcome at Jewish family services, or I'm not Catholic, therefore I cannot go to Catholic family services. A lot of these services are non-denominational now. And so it just takes a little bit more digging. Um, Hmm. A good place to start a lot of the time is just your local community health center. Um, Or if you're Uh, If your city or town is equipped with an information line, like a 311 or 211, you can try that as well. Um, And if you have access to the Internet, running a Google search, it may not get you to the right place, but usually will get you on the phone with somebody who can then direct you to a better service.
0: Right. yeah it's a it can be a big world to navigate <laughs> and for people who don't have much energy to even take those steps, that could be super hard
1: it's It is a hundred percent if you have a family doctor, you can ask them um, sometimes they're so I work in a in a health team a family health team which means that the doctors in my clinic are connected to a team of health professionals. So dieticians, nurse practitioners, nurses, uh, social workers, psychologists. Um, And so if you're lucky enough to be part of a a family health team, then your doctor can just easily make a referral to those programs and you can access those services for free. Um, Community health centers, a lot of them have counseling programs too. They tend to be short term. But they tend to be free, which can be just enough to get you in and face-to-face with somebody and then figure out what the next best step to take is. Right. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, There are more online programs right now, too. If you live in Ontario, the government of Ontario has funded an Internet CBT program. Um, that can be great if you're working in more of a low, moderate, um, mental health challenge right now with something like anxiety or stress or low moods or depression. Um, and how it works is you'll sign up for the program. You'll meet with a social worker or counselor, do a brief assessment, and then they assign modules to you. So it is a little less personal. You're spending less Mm -hmm. one-on-one time. But for some people, it's exactly what they need. Um, right. So there are services like that. And I'm just trying to think of what else. There's lots of like self-help stuff online too. Um, so it's a, hu- it's a huge world. And it can be a lot. Even just talking about it, I feel like I've rambled on for too long. And it probably <laughs> lost some people along the way. So it's, it's uh, community health centers are a really great place to start.
0: thanks gab but no that's great i mean it's good to know though because it does kind of prove the point as to how overwhelming that can be so even as someone who's about to approach someone or who's in the position of being a listener or you know the support person it's good to know how big this the world can be of of help and it's yeah oftentimes those struggling will need help navigating that
1: A hundred percent. And you're a hundred percent right in the barriers that people can face. And when you feel like it's overwhelming, it might just turn you off altogether from even trying to reach out. And that's something that the mental health field is um,
0: aware of and trying to overcome. Awesome. Okay. Um, Well, we're coming up on an hour and I think we've touched upon a lot of great things i mean this is a super tricky time for people it's fall going into the darker months covid um a lot of people are struggling with mental health and uh mm-hmm. and it's it's okay it's common <laughs> i mean people are not alone and so we have to be there for each other and learn how to listen well and how to reach out for help and how to ask the tough questions if that needs to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. And be kind to ourselves as we do all of that <laughs> because it, it is hard and practice.
0: I can't is the aim key. to be the perfect support person.
1: <laughs> no. And practice is the key. Practice, practice, yes. practice. Um, the more we practice, I mean, we, you teach this to the girls, to our kids, uh, but we often forget that we need to
0: do it as adults. How long did it take? Do you feel there was a big change in your listening skills as you practiced, as you worked? Um, not really. <laughs>
1: in in some ways, uh, my education, I found, just reaffirmed a lot of the things that I had that resonated with me already. Right. Um, and as a third child, other middle children might be able to relate. I've often found myself. Found myself to be an observer and kind of take a back seat and watch and listen and observe um and so it's something that I think has just been a part of my personality for a long time, and my education training has taught me how to fine tune it in a way that's going to be more effective for other people.
0: Hmm. I would say that's very true. Yeah. I always thought I was a, I was I always thought I was a good listener until I realized I wasn't. I mean, I think I I am in general, but I definitely am like I get really excited, I get really like questiony and just my experience with you on the other side was like wow, this is how we can feel when the other person gives space <laughs> and time. <laughs> so.
1: And uh, like that's that's okay too. I mean, this is where a lot of what we've talked about today is not black and white. These are not hard and fast rules. Um, there will be situations where you are sharing your excitement and you're cutting each other off, and and that's that's part of social interaction too. So that listening, that that very intentional listening. Um, is very effective, but it's not going to be our conversations 100% of the time. And you've seen that, M. like we have conversations <laughs> where the depth of listening is not the same as when, okay, I really need you to listen right now.
0: Right. I like that. <laughs> That's a good point. So there you have it. We've learned a lot of wonderful things from Gabby about attentive listening, So I hope you can put this into practice. Let me know how that goes. I would love to hear from you. And I wish you a beautiful rest of the day and see you next time.